This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the August 2nd episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all of your fantasy football questions. I am your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rant. And today we welcome in one of the true legends in the fantasy football industry. We're talking to Chris Raybon, senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of the Action Network show on Sirius XM Fantasy Radio at 9 a.m. Eastern. Chris has been killing it on fantasy football and DFS for years. One of the great minds and guys in the industry. He's also shared his incredible story and the unique and meteoric rise he had to being one of the best fantasy analysts out there in the business. Please follow him on Twitter. If you're not already, it's a mistake, at Chris Rabon. Chris, we welcome you with open arms to the mailbag. How you doing? Mike, I mean, that that was a heck of an intro. Uh, I, you can't be throwing around words like legend, man. I, I definitely, number one, you're making me feel old. And number two, I, I don't definitely don't think I belong in that category. But, um, you know, I'm just thankful for, for guys like J.J. Zacharyson, who, who kind of gave me a start in, in this industry, and Evan Silva, who's always um, kind of tutored me and, and mentored me, and Jonathan Bales as well, and, and a bunch of the other guys. So I'm just, uh, just happy to be here and, uh, and, and serve you guys, and hopefully we, we get this money. Well, it's totally appropriate, man. You're too you're too modest. I've always followed you for years. And then last year was incredible when you put out that story on the Action Network about how you walked away from your accountant job to mm-hmm. pretty much win a huge professional bet on yourself. And now you've turned into one of the leaders in the industry. And if I have this correct, you've watched every NFL football game since 2010. So tell us a little bit about that and, and how you decided to make that big professional move and see it pay off in a huge way. Yeah, so, you know, growing up, I was always pretty outgoing guy for the most part. But the one thing I kind of did behind closed doors was I was a big stat geek and um, used to play a board game called Stratomatic. Which, yes, yes. Yeah, it's just like, for anyone familiar, it's just a simulation card game where every player has a card and his true probabilities, whether it's baseball, football, whatever, you know, are, are all on the, on dice rolls and are connected to dice rolls. And I used to play that, play seasons uh, of different sports and that, and I just pour through box scores before the internet was even, you know, before I even had the internet, I grew up in the Bronx, New York. So we weren't exactly, you know, rolling in dough, uh, especially when I was a kid, but went to college, was lucky enough to to, to attend Syracuse University and it was a recession. And so I I was more interested in kind of other things, psychology. I was a psych major, but I was just thinking about money at that point. Everyone was pretty shook, you know, in 08, 09, that recession, especially if you're if you were studying, you know, something like finance, accounting, like I was, you know, just kind of 
pivoted from psych to accounting, but still just never really just kind of did that more just for for stability and, and, and for, for, for a paycheck and it wasn't really enjoying it. So I was kind of plotting my escape and was actually thinking of doing life coaching, something totally different lane. And by chance, I just happened to be um, I was working as an accountant for a private um, data company called Tower Data. You know, check them out if you need any email pens or anything like that. Um, shout out to my dude, Tom and Aaron, everybody over there. But, uh, you know, worked for them, wasn't really enjoying the work, but was pretty good at it. So I had a little bit of free time, always used to study fantasy. One day I just wrote an email to, to Numberfire. Never did this before, but wrote an email to Numberfire.com. I still remember what the article was about. I, I just dis- disagreed so much that I was compelled. And I don't know what made me do this, but. Yeah, J- JJ talked about that on, on Twitter. He was he was mentioning you when he talked about <laughs> tips for, for writers and said, you wrote an article, you wrote to them and ripped apart an article they had. And here you were, they hired you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I guess there's a bunch of lessons you could take away from that. I mean, I, I encourage everyone to follow JJ at late round quarterback. On Twitter, that that whole thread was, I think, really useful. Um, but but yeah, you know, as he mentioned, I I just disagree with the article. It was essentially saying that this was, you know, I guess 2013 that Andrew Luck was going to have a bad fantasy season because his uh, running back was Ahmad Bradshaw with the Colts, which just didn't make sense on so many different levels. Um, and, and you know, me being a, an avid reader of Number Fire at the time, I just was like, hey, you know, I was kind of worried. I was like, hey, you guys, this is just like, I don't, I don't agree with this. This isn't right. And I kind of laid out all the reasons why it wasn't. And you know, JJ thought it was you know well thought out. Asked me to write for free. I did. Um, a lot of people question that, you know, I get a lot of questions about, you know, why would you do that, especially in this day and age when everyone's trying to sell every little click. But I think, you know, when you don't have, you have to kind of assess it in terms of value for yourself. And at that point, I had no other really, no other way in the industry. So um, for me, writing, for, I was glad to write for free. I might have even kind of, uh, you know, I was going to suggest it if JJ didn't bring it up first, or I might have, I don't remember exactly how it went. But um, yeah, started writing for free and um, eventually it, it became a situation where I was kind of at a crossroads where I had to either um, continue in, in my field in accounting or kind of um, take the offers. You know, I was working part time the second year, not for free. I was getting some money. But the third year I started um, getting some full time offers, but just wasn't exactly sure, you know, what to think. Um, ended up going four for four, built the DFS subscription from scratch, had no idea how it was going to turn out, did have um, – you know, a, 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 a large portion of my pay, I think, looking back on it, kind of tied to incentives. So I was worried that, you know, I was essentially taking a pay cut, but um, it ended, all ended up working out. I ended up having the best, you know, year professionally of my career. And I've just been kind of in, in, in the industry ever since and uh, made the move over to action this past year. But um, it, it's kind of been a hell of a journey. And yeah, I think just, you know, it, it was something I actually learned in Matthew Berry's book. Um, he, he wrote a uh, a, a really good book on on kind of his rise in, into the industry and how he started out as as a writer as a script comedy writer and he was doing all these things and just he said be ready and and one thing I did have was even though I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do as most twenty somethings I, I did have a bunch of kind of fantasy articles you know pre written that I never knew what I was going to use them for if it, maybe it was just going to be my notes or whatever not but. Um, I was able to show JJ. So, you know, that's the big thing I learned is just stay ready and, and, and always, you know, be on the lookout for, 
to create potential opportunities because I, I really don't know what made me do that. I've never really done it again. Just like send a, a random email to a site, but I guess I'm batting a thousand uh, on that. And uh, I'm forever grateful to, uh, to JJ for that. No, that's the move. You have to bet on yourself and you have to build that portfolio. I agree. You know, you went out there, you went after your passion and, and people get caught up a lot of times. Oh, am I getting paid for this? You know, sometimes people will send me DMs. Oh, you know, how did you start writing or doing this and that folks, if you love it and it's a passion, you go after it. And you know, if you're good at it and you work hard, then you, you take your chances that something something blows up. And certainly you've blown up bigger than anyone here. So it's a great story. And thanks for sharing it with everybody, because I'm sure a lot of people who are starting out, you know, are, are taking inspiration from it. Oh, sure. No, I love sharing. I encourage all of the, the people in this industry to share their stories, because you never know who it's going to inspire. Um, there's people that are going to be able to relate to you um, for different reasons, no matter where you come from, how you started. Um, and, and, you know, there was uh, another thing I just want to point out is, you know, just as long as you kind of have, I think, you know, good intentions and you're hard worker, um, you know, it won't always be the same exact opportunities that are going to work for everybody or the same exact methods. But um, just just kind of, you know, surround yourself with good people and be, you know, kind of value oriented, be looking to give um, more than you take. Um, and I think good things will happen because, you know, I, I really owe a lot of, you know, pretty much all of my success to, to the people that just took the time out to kind of show me the ropes and and and, uh, and and put me on guys like, you know, Jonathan Bales here um, at the Action Network. Uh, was I think the the first uh, person who offered me a paid gig in the industry because I was writing for Number Fire for free and he kind of hit me up you know working on his side project Roto Academy and 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 I didn't even know what to ask for money wise and um I, it, funny crazy story is Bales is such a good dude and I don't even know if a lot of people know this but like we agreed to a certain rate I don't know what I don't know if it's if I'm lowballing myself high, I don't know what people get paid in this industry so whatever I, I submit my piece to him and and he he says hey you know this is this is the thing was so good that i'm actually going to pay you uh, uh i think it was like double what we we agreed That's upon great. That's and a that, good you know, guy. he didn't have yep. to do that for a guy that has never um never made a sense uh, up until that point um in the industry so uh, you know people like that and things like that or it really makes it go. And this, that applies to every career. It's not just this industry, just, um, you know, try to seek out the good people and, and eventually, um, you know, good things will happen. Well, it's a perfect transition here to getting paid because Michael Thomas just got paid five years. Sounds like it's a hundred million. You know, I was watching last night, Chris, on the uh, NFL Network Top 100, and you know they have the players talk about the other players and how great they are. Devontae Adams came on last night. It's perfect timing, and he was talking about Michael Thomas, and he goes, "You know, this guy first came in the league. I looked at him. I go, it's not, there's really not a lot that's special. I don't really know what he does that's really great. That all of a sudden you're watching him, and it's the devils in the detail. So Michael Thomas." I put it out on, on Twitter today, of course, talking about how the Saints are really making a run. Got a lot of kickback on that because some people feel it's too much money for a wide receiver. But I think, Chris, down in New Orleans, that target share to Mike Thomas is so huge. I think this is something they really had to settle. I mean, uh, Michael Thomas is, you know, he's he's a top five fantasy wide receiver in all formats. I mean, there's so many good ones that I, I think I could see him if you drop him as low as seventh, um, maybe in a standard league. Uh, but, but they really need him now. Breeze really needs him more than ever because a lot of people don't realize this, but, you know, Breeze slowed down considerably over yep, the last absolutely. seven games yep. of 2018. Uh over those last seven games, six interceptions, um, interceptions in six of seven games, only 6.77 yards per attempt, 11 touchdown passes, and, and was also uh, 12 sacks, a lot more than he had been taken uh, over that fourth 
first portion of the season, still not uh, many, but, you know, still notable. And uh, I think the most noticeable thing was Breeze didn't seem to be able to get the ball down the field. And I think that kind of explained that 6.77 yard per attempt. Michael Thomas average depth of target for the season, 7.8. So it's kind of a gift and a curse because Breeze is at the point in his career, you know, on the wrong side of 40 where I'm concerned about his arm strength, but he's so smart. He can get rid of the ball so fast and he's so accurate that even as he's probably, you know, physically declining at at a more rapid pace than we realize, he's still able to go out there and and set the the NFL record for uh, completion percentage and uh, and be effective. You know, he's not just because Eli Manning setting career highs in completion percentage and the Giants can't move the ball like two future Hall of Famers last year. But but Breeze continues to get it done. And I think that benefits Thomas, especially in PPR, because Thomas, you know, there's not a lot of uh, low percentage targets. It's pretty much all high percentage, which you don't usually see for a wide receiver getting that type of volume. I will tell you the first time when I realized I thought Breeze was struggling throwing the ball down the field, it was against the Vikings in the 2018 divisional playoff. He got picked off by Zendejo on a pass down the middle of the field. I think it was Ted Ginn, and it was just shocking how much he underthrew him. So I agree. I think Sean Payton's very smart. I think the the funnel to the running back passes, and they need Michael Thomas for all those reasons. I, I totally agree with you. I think this was something they had to get done, and they did. The last game we, we've seen Breeze play, which is that unfortunate NFC championship oh, brutal, game brutal. against the Los Angeles Rams, you know, uh, I, I watched every play of that game multiple times in, in depth because I, I wrote an article on ActionNetwork.com about, you know, how essentially the Saints choked away the game even after the call didn't go their yeah, way. Very and true. One of my main points and something I rewatched over and over was just, uh, a bunch of Breeze's throws, uh, you know, both leading up to and after um, the pivotal moment with the no call. And uh, especially leading up, I mean, there was a throw downfield to Ginn that I think Ginn catches for like a 50-yard gain that it was just a lame duck that yep. should have been picked off. I mean, I think it was uh, Joyner so somebody on the Rams essentially camped under it like a punt. Uh, I don't know how he didn't come down with it. Uh, there's another play, uh, I think a play or two before Breeze throws it to, to Tommy Lee Lewis where – it's a simple, you know, quick breaking in route to Michael Thomas, where if he catches it in stride, uh, he 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 drags defenders, maybe gets a first down, maybe even breaks a tackle and gets into the end zone. Instead, Brees throws it right into the ground, uh, you know, stops the clock. And uh, it, it was just kind of inexplicable, not talked about. And even the throw to Lewis, I mean, Breeze kind of had a, a, a more of a line drive angle at first, yep. hesitated. And then, you know, and Dominican Sue gets in the passing lane, but but and Breeze floats it. But I, I'm not sure if he really meant to float it as much as he did to even give the play a chance to kind of result in, a, you know, a bang, bang play with a call where a no call or a call could decide it. So I am a little bit concerned about Breeze. I actually uh, am very bearish on him. I have him, uh, you know, right around the, the QB 20, which is, you know, some people are taking him even in the top 100 picks. Uh, it, it, I see. So I, I'm not very bullish on Breeze. I just think when you when you combine, you know, not being able to run with potential decrease in arm strength, I think it'll be efficient, but the volume hasn't been there. Uh, they, they still have a, a one-two punch with Kamara and, and, Mike, and, uh, and Latavius Murray. So 
Uh, I think there are a lot higher upside guys than Breeze, and he's more of a guy that I, I mean, he's not going to be on the waiver wire, but I wish he was because I just stream him in a couple of games in the Dome, but not a guy I want week in and week out anymore as my starting fantasy quarterback. Very similar to Peyton Manning's last year. I don't think Breeze is quite at that point, but it's very underreported because of that penalty. People still looking for a flag, but all the reasons you outline, I agree. I'm, I'm much lower on Breeze. Uh, hey, Mike, uh, let me let me throw a quick like a quick scenario how I was playing with in my head. I, I was talking to my guy Blackjack Fletcher about this on Sirius Radio this morning, uh, but. We all, uh, I hear Breeze get compared a lot to, to Peyton Manning in that year. Um, let's not forget, and, and, and I'll go, I, I am lower on the Saints than most, but Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl that he year. He did, that's true. Yep. Um, and I was just thinking, hey, what if, whether it be, you know, injury or, or whatnot, or maybe, maybe there really is something, an issue with the arm, but what if somehow Breeze, you know, misses games and Teddy Bridgewater comes in? Yep. And he's like the Brock Osweiler, and then and then all of a sudden you get you get back to the playoffs, and, and maybe Bridgewater struggles, and, and Breeze comes back, and uh, it's like three touchdowns in the second half, and then they go on and win a Super Bowl. Like, wouldn't that just be like the perfect, <laughs> the perfect ending for, for Breeze after they got so close? That is because now I feel like it's almost you know they're 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 a favorite, but at the same time it's like people are kind of starting to doubt like can they really get back to the to, to knocking on the door for the third straight year because um, they lost in excruciating fashion these last couple. That is right on the money. <laughs> That's a scenario I could totally see. Breeze will be hidden more because he's in a dome as opposed to Denver with Peyton. But uh, Chris, listen, I mean, Sean Payton is incorporating Taysom Hill into the offense more and more. You're not doing that if you have a guy who's back there chucking it, getting 40 to 50 touchdowns. So I think this is something he's recognized. You know, he could absolutely go out with an injury and then Teddy Bridgewater comes in. Boy, that would that would just be so poetic in fantasy football world, right? That would be the hottest waiver wire pickup of the year right there, right? Yeah, and I mean, I'm not even sure Teddy Bridgewater has better arm strength than, than 40-year-old Drew Brees, so it would be quite interesting. <laughs> exactly. The offense would be different. Well, let's go to a guy who does have arm strength, and that's Patrick Mahomes. Tyreek Hill not suspended. You have Mahomes pulling the strings for him and Travis Kelsey. I want to focus on Damian Williams and hear what you think about him. He was a non-entity for four years in Miami. Then he gets his chance after Kareem Hunt is released, and then Spencer Ware got injured three consecutive top a fantasy ppr rb performances small sample size of course that's the trap but it's dangerous he is the lead running back in an explosive offense what do you think about damian williams is he real or is he really just in four set redux you can't be just in four set when <laughs> you're in the, the chiefs offense i mean they could put i i mean give me the worst running back you can think of and you could put him on the chiefs offense uh, and they would put up numbers. Because, Alfred Morris, after hearing your pod. How about Alfred Morris? How about Alfred oh, Morris? Oh, man. I mean, and the thing about Alfred Morris is he just can't catch the football. But, I mean, you know, we've seen Alfred Morris succeed behind a good O-line in Dallas. I mean, Alfred Morris might catch 50 balls in, in Kansas City just because they're not going to pay him any attention. And every, and they got to cover Tyreek and Kelsey and everyone. And, but, uh, no, you know, I think Damian Williams, I'm fine with where he's going. He j- tends to go around that uh, RB1, RB2 borderline, that RB12, 13. Uh, but I will say this. Uh, the the top four backs, top five backs, I, I'd include David Johnson in that. And, and depending on if Zeke's holdout drags out, maybe remove him. But the, the top tier of running backs, I, I think, are guys you definitely don't want to pass on for any other position uh, in 2019. And that's Zeke and uh, Saquon, Zeke, Christian McCaffrey, and 
Alvin Kamara. And I, I, I'd probably include David Johnson in, in almost a tier by himself. But those five are guys that I want at the top of my draft. Um, maybe pass on David Johnson depending on, on the scoring format. Um, or if you're just trying to diversify, you play a lot of leagues, you want to get some Adams or some Hopkins or something like that. But um, after that, I like taking stud pass catchers round one and round two. So that's the only reason why I might say, hey, I'm not going to necessarily be overexposed to Williams um, just because I, I'm usually going pass catcher, pass catcher in, in the positions where uh, I'm usually, uh, you know, in line to pick up a guy like a Damian Williams. So I'd rather go like, you know, maybe Julio Jones, Michael Thomas or something if I'm the back end. And, you know, as I get back to the middle, you know, usually still find a Juju or Antonio Brown that drops or somebody like that. So uh, I'm not getting a ton of Williams, but I, I think, you know, DFS every week, um, as long as he's the starter, I think he's going to put up numbers. And I, I think that, you know, there's a misconception, perhaps, because he caught a lot of footballs uh, down the stretch last year that he's somewhat of a scat back. And then they go out and they sign Carlos Hyde, who who's fits that kind of bigger, you know, bigger back mold as a two down guy. But uh, Damian Williams, over 220 pounds himself. Not exactly small. So uh, they've come out and said he is the unquestioned starter. Carlos Hyde been one of the most inefficient pass catchers at the running back position throughout his whole career. So I think Williams' job is safe. It's just more of a matter of, of strategy specific to 2019 where I'm usually targeting uh, trying to double up on stud pass catchers in rounds one and two if I can't get a top four or five running back. Yeah, I heard you say it on the on the podcast also. Don't overthink it, folks. There's a lot of other places that you can put your energy besides worrying about those top four or five backs. Get one of those guys, sit back, and, and forget it. I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 10% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass to the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. That subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content and, best of all, supports the pod. That's rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. And, of course, folks, there's another way to support the pod through patreon.com. Second season, it's better than ever. Patronships start at just $6 per month. We have exclusive access to our Rotoviz Radio Slack channel for patrons only, where you can jump in and talk to the writers and podcast hosts. I love going back and forth with our patrons here. It's been fantastic. Patrons get first crack at our Rotoviz listener leagues, which have started up already. At the higher tier of $9 per month, it's a great deal. You get some Rotoviz merch at the end of the season. So become a Rotoviz patron today and join the exclusive community at patreon.com forward slash Rotoviz Radio. Always nice way to continue. Continue to help us here in the industry-leading content and all the shows we do for free each week on the network. Chris, you and Matthew Freeman and Sean Corner, great podcast. Like I said, it's solidly in my rotation. You guys did a, a breakdown of each of the positions, and the one I want to talk about now is the QB position because it's super important, usually your highest scoring player in fantasy. There are some QBs that you have a pretty strong opinion on and original thoughts as well. So let's start with the number one overall pick, Kyler Murray. Yeah, Kyler Murray. I mean, he's a top five fantasy quarterback for me in year one um just looking at his ability to to run um you know over a thousand yards in, in his final season uh at oklahoma uh throw the ball i mean he pretty much comps to russell wilson except he's going to be in a pass offense uh with cliff kingsbury in the spread attack that is uh much unlike what russell wilson was in in year one in seattle in a run heavy outfit under offensive coordinator daryl bevel who by the way is now with the Detroit Lions. So I think the te- it's just the tempo plus the rushing ability for Kyler Murray because look at quarterbacks on teams that played, uh, you know, at, at a slower pace or, or that just, you know, weren't necessarily throwing the ball around a lot like a Josh Allen. I mean, Josh Allen outscored Patrick Mahomes over the last five weeks of, of 2018. Yep. He was the number one 
quarterback in fantasy. And Josh Allen, the guy, the guy everyone said could not hit the broadside of a barn from like a foot away, was the top quarterback in fantasy, outscored a guy that finished the season with 50 touchdown passes over essentially what is a third of the fantasy season. Now, I know one of those was week 17, but yeah, you know, that kind of shows you the upside of quarterbacks with scrambling ability. And it's the reason that um, as we kind of go through this, this, this fantasy draft season for 2019, you'll see me with guys like Breeze ranked a lot lower than, than the industry. You'll see me kind of beating the drum on guys like Allen and Lamar Jackson and, and Mitch Trubisky and Dak Prescott, because those are the guys where, you know, you're getting very solid, um, a very solid floor with a QB one uh, ceiling every single week, you know, because I don't really recommend drafting Patrick Mahomes. I was really high on him last year. I had him almost everywhere. It won me a lot of leagues. But now, uh, a lot of the value, pretty much all of the value is taken out when you're drafting him, in, you know, in the second round or whatnot. Uh, so I think you got to try to find a quarterback that you know is going to kind of replicate that that you can find later. Now, no one's going to replicate Mahomes, but um, we're seeing more and more quarterbacks put up monster years sooner and sooner. That's another reason I like Murray. I mean, Deshaun Watson uh, was on pace for essentially uh, about the same amount of total yardage uh, and, and touchdowns as Mahomes uh, you know, produced in 2018 in his seven-game stint as a, the Houston starter in 2017 before tearing his ACL. So we've seen these, these guys, these 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 talented quarterbacks come in the league and be good immediately. And, and that's why I'm a little bit more bullish or a lot more bullish on Kyler Murray than perhaps than most of the industry. Um, I'm not hesitating to take him as a top five quarterback. Now, of course, he doesn't go in the top five. So what that means is that you can still wait, you know, till around that 90 or, or even 100th overall pick. And, and you're getting a guy that I think has, you know, that that top two, three upside along with the Deshaun Watson uh, you know, Mahomes, of course, and another guy, if anyone's going to push for 50 touchdown passes, my money is on Mr. Baker Mayfield. Yes, and that's the next guy I want to get to. But really quick, talk about Murray in week one in DFS. I mean, at home against the Lions, I mean, you got to be targeting that already, right? Yeah, uh, you know, of course, DFS pricing out Kyler Murray until every week until further notice. Um, and when he gets too expensive, just find the next guy that can run that's cheap, target him. Rinse and repeat. Well, Baker Mayfield is a guy that you are very high on. Most people go with Mahomes, Luck, Deshaun Watson, of course, has a lot of upside here, totally healthy now. Aaron Rodgers, of course, with the great TD to interception ratio. But Baker Mayfield's a guy that you think should be in that tier and has overall QB1 upside, no? Oh, I'm taking Mayfield over Rodgers and Luck every single time because... Because here's my thing. I, I think that every year in fantasy, there's there's a few situations to exploit. And, and they kind of it's almost like there's there's a lot more upside than there is downside to exploit these situations. I think one of them is that Mayfield's going behind uh, Luck and Rogers. Now, I think that's because those guys are household names. They're safe. Mayfield's this upstart guy who we didn't even think he was going to be the number one quarterback drafted until maybe, you know, a, a few hours before the draft or a couple of days before the draft or whatever it was. Um, and, and then he comes out and, he, you know, they fire you Jackson. And all of a sudden Mayfield starts putting up numbers. Listen, what he did throwing to guys like Rashard Higgins, Brashad Perriman, um, you know, rookie Antonio Callaway, you know, Najoku in his second year. I mean, he was throwing to essentially Jarvis Landry, who he, by the way, targeted 10% less because the defense says we're paying more attention to him. 
he's over nine yards attempt, some over 10 yards attempt to all those other guys I mentioned. I mean, Brashad Perriman essentially got him a, a whole new free agent deal, a new beginning in Tampa Bay. There's no way we're talking about Perriman as, as you know, the potential number three wideout in, in Tampa not. Bay. No and, way. And, and, and excited about him. If Baker Mayfield isn't putting the ball on the money to his number four receiver, who happened to be Brashad Perriman for a stretch uh, last season. So, I, I was really impressed with the fact that he didn't need to rely on his top target and force it to, to Landry and could instead uh, essentially make all of these scrubs, although I, I like Antonio Callaway, but you know I, I guess I need to dial it back because where it is, he's still working with that, that second team. But I think if he's out there in three wide sets, uh, you have to cover everyone uh, before him in terms of priority, Beckham, Landry, Njoku, whether it's Chubb, Hunt, Duke Johnson, whoever in the backfield uh, – Cowboys getting single coverage every time. That's a that's a, a day t- a day three pick. That's really I think a first second round talent. Uh, so had a, had a pretty good rookie year, all things considered. Uh, d- somewhat mistake prone, but I mean I just think this Browns offense everywhere you look, you have talented pass catchers. Um, you have Kareem Hunt kind of in, in, in the in the in the holster ready to unleash him. You probably still have Duke Johnson a- until at least the deadline when Hunt comes back and you can trade Duke Nick Chubb. By the way, pretty damn good himself. I mean, there's no one that Baker can't throw to. And, and Mayfield's making all these guys look like the next Jerry Rice. So uh, I think the sky's the limit for Baker Mayfield. Full offseason, Todd Munkin coming in there from Tampa. Look what he did. I mean, Jameis Winston would put up cute, like top five numbers in, in a half and then get benched. And Ryan Fitzpatrick would do the same So in, in the second half last year. So ridiculous upside to me in, in the Cleveland offense. One of my favorite ways to invest in what has become just a chalky, trendy pick, even though I do think they'll have a lot of success um, this season, probably win that division. That That's kind of the chalk. But but I love taking Mayfield over Rodgers, who, who hasn't averaged more than 7.4 YPA um, since 2014, I believe it is. And, and Luck, who was near the bottom of the league in yard per attempt, um, really just ex- amazing play on third down, amazing play in the red zone. But, you know, already has the, the, the injury. That's now we, now we know it's been lingering for a few months. I mean, we could be getting a little too excited about about the, the, the changes, especially if Luck's not practicing because he's hurt. I mean, how is he going to build chemistry with Paris Campbell uh, and Devin Funches if he's if he's not practicing? And, you know, Funches was a guy kind of on the scrap heap. I think he's worth the shot, you know, is kind of right around the top 50 wide receivers because he could be the next Ebron in terms of the touchdown catches. But let's be real. Um, we could find a situation where nothing much has really changed with Luck um, last year to this, um, as, as, as much as we think, it might take Campbell a little longer to develop. They did have some concerns about his route running, although at the same time we've heard reports that he's cleaned it up. So just a little more uncertainty, whereas I think Mayfield, you put the best, one of the best receivers in football, generational talent on his team in addition to what he did with much, much lesser guys last season and give him a whole offseason to prepare, sky's the limit. He's got weapons galore, and he's starting the season as the main guy in camp. He was yelling at his receivers today, trying to get him on the same page, so he's certainly taking charge there in Cleveland. Hi, Rotoviz fans. Allow me a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. It's been 10 years since the FFPC filled their first Dynasty League, and now they've grown to be the world's largest Dynasty League commissioner with leagues as high as $5,000 to enter. FFPC leagues are active and competitive, and not a single league has ever folded. Brand new startup Dynasty Leagues are forming right now, starting at $77 and up in standard, Superflex, and best ball formats. 
And for those of you ready for your greatest challenge, take a look at this year's FFPC main event. What is the main event exactly? It's the world's biggest event in season-long fantasy football, and this year it's coming at you with a half a million dollar grand prize and over $3.1 million in total prizes. Come to Las Vegas for a three-day weekend of live draft and festivities at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino or draft online from the comfort of your home. Main event drafts begin August 23rd and run through the start of the season. Go to MyFFPC.com and register now. That's MYFFPC.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. For those of us who really want to wait on QB, the real late round QB people who are waiting longer than anyone in their in their draft. Who's a guy or two that you think? Give me the one guy you think that could have top five upside that's the latest, the lowest in the ADP. Who's like that last guy that you're like, you know what, if things break right, he could sneak up there, but this is the lowest I'm going to (laughs) go. Got to be my guy, Jimmy G. Yep, I mean, And this is, it's like on brand, but it's off brand because everyone who follows me knows I was extremely high on Jimmy G uh, last season, even had, you know, some shares of, of San Francisco uh, you know, division futures, Super Bowl futures, all that, and that kind of, you know, went 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 down with uh, Garoppolo's torn ACL. But uh, this is a guy averaging well over eight yards in attempt in his career, even with just the San Francisco 49ers, if you take the Patriots out of it. And uh, I think people are sleeping on him. And this was a, a very fast-paced offense in 2017, uh, running about 66 plays per game, uh, dialed it back a little bit last year, did – uh, head coach Kyle Shanahan, I think partly because he had to start inexperienced quarterbacks like C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins, but I think Garoppolo returns. They get fast-paced again. They got a bunch of guys in the backfield. God knows they'll never run out of running backs, you don't think. Um, and, and it's just another situation where they added Debo Samuel, Jalen Hurd, a versatile um, guy who can play a little bit of every position in round three. Uh, of course, Samuel, the wideout uh, in round two. Uh, so Dante Pettis entering year two, George Kittle fresh off setting the uh, NFL record for yards at, at, at the tight end position in one season, uh, kind of unprecedented explosiveness, um, big playability uh, for that position. Maybe only Rob Gronkowski, the only guy I could think of that was just breaking up plays like that on, on that routine of a basis. So just a lot of weapons. And if he's a high volume guy, yeah, he's not going to run. And, and that's the only concern and why he's still kind of low in ADP as he should be but you know and, and Evan Silva and, and, and Freeman and Corner and I talked about this on a couple of Action Network podcasts ago um, so go check that out if you're interested but um, Garoppolo probably easily finishes a top 15 guy and outplays uh, his ADP so uh, Garoppolo is a guy I love but I mean anyone who falls you can just wait because I think up until Garoppolo what is he like QB 18 19 20 yep. um, you know 
all of those guys, I mean, I have Garoppolo at kind of the head of the statue after. So I have like Trubisky and Prescott kind of rounding out that, that the tier of the mobile guys. But, but yeah, you can wait a little longer. And I take Garoppolo over Brady. I take him over Breeze. Uh, and I take him over Roethlisberger just because you're losing AB. But, you know, Roethlisberger, another one. You know, any of those guys in, in that top 18 or so, I, I'm feeling really comfortable with um, because quarterbacks are predictable, too. So if you get a Roethlisberger, you know, and, and granted, he has kind of evened out the home road splits a little bit. But you still know he's going to have crazy upside at home. Drew Brees, another guy. I don't think he's going to fall. But if he does, another guy upside at home. Um, and you can, and Tom Brady in, in a matchup where it's a tough run defense. You know, the Patriots will still um, abandon the run in, in their game plan before the game script even calls for it. So he's going to have big weeks. Um you can kind of predict these guys, even if you're forced to kind of stream between two or three options, picking guys up off the waiver wire or, or, or carrying two quarterbacks uh, throughout the season. So, um, you know, love Trubisky. Um, no one had more 30 point games than him. Dak Prescott numbers shot up with with once Amari was in tow. And, you know, I think Randall Cobb, Witten, still some some uh, modest upgrades, but but still should help. And I think there's a really good. Qu- I mean, Russell Wilson could end up falling to the QB 15. And you're happy with him there. Whoever falls, you can wait till 12, 13, 14 QBs are off the board and feel absolutely fine. I put this out on Twitter. Last year, Garoppolo was the QB 10. Now he's healthy, has more weapons. Kyle Shanahan there. And Shanahan did did incredible work with Nick Mullins. And he is now, Garoppolo, the QB 20, give or take. That makes absolutely no sense. It's the flavor of the month, right? We didn't see him. We haven't seen him play. So we're just dropping him. Well, folks, I don't think we were all wrong last year. Even if we were off, QB 20 is a huge value. Yeah, and and, I, and and don't get me wrong. I think the ADP is fair only because we've witnessed just how valuable rushing upside is. I mean, we used to it just used to be a little bit more rare. Like we used to say, hey, uh, you know what, Tyrod Taylor, sneaky QB one, Dak Prescott, sneaky. Well, these guys aren't exactly as sneaky anymore, and their their archetypes aren't as sneaky anymore. So I get why Garoppolo is falling, but yeah, I'm not taking I'm not taking Breeze over him, Brady over him, or, or Roethlisberger over him because I think he now um, is in that position amongst these guys that aren't giving you rushing upside um, to to be kind of that every week guy that's putting up huge yardage numbers and he has enough talent finally uh, at pass catcher to start producing touchdowns, which he's also, he's kind of been lacking it, at least in his career in San Francisco. And remember, you know, the, the one guy that I think really struggled last year that, that, that underwhelmed a bit, a lot, a lot of it had to do with injuries on, on San Francisco was Marquise Goodwin. The Garoppolo-Goodwin connection was off the charts uh, yep. in Garoppolo's uh, handful of starts in 2017. I mean, Goodwin was essentially putting up RB1 numbers, uh, excuse me, wide receiver one numbers. So um, if he can get that connection working in addition to Pettis, who wide receivers tend to make the biggest jumps year one to year two, usually see about a 30% increase um, in their production. Um, then you couple that with, with a guy in Kittle who um, is setting records uh, at, at tight end and, and you got three backs that you feel comfortable throwing the ball to in addition to a fullback who you can line up all over the formation. Hard to see Garoppolo failing, unless barring injury. Especially with Marquise Goodwin in his 40 yards of gold title, right, Chris? I mean, you know, right. I, I might as well throw him yeah. in there. And let's not remember, let's not forget, uh, a, real, a professional quarterback like Matt Ryan openly admitted that he struggled in the first year of a Shanahan offense. Um, and that second year was the year he had the MVP campaign, uh, you know, took the Falcons to the Super Bowl. Well, Garoppolo lost much of his, you know, second year, but. Um, so this could kind of be that year for him. And, and he has a whole nother offseason to kind of prepare and, and get mental reps and kind of refine that aspect of his game. Because still not 
uh, that experience even uh, after all these years. But what he lacks in on-field experience, um, he makes up for working with guys like Kyle Shanahan and, of course, you know, Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady uh, in New England. This pod is dropping on Friday, and later tonight I'm going into the city. Jake Seal has got the Flex Leagues going, Fantasy League of Experts, so I'm going to be in the Super Flex tonight, and I'm going to tip off my opponents right now. Christopher Walken gave us that line. Remember, I have a fever, a fever for some cowbell. My fever, Chris, is I cannot pick a tight end early unless it's like a tight end premium league, so I am probably waiting tonight. Unless one of those guys drops to me a little further than they normally do, I'm going to wait for a late-round tight end. I'm a huge Mark Andrews guy this year, tethered Lamar Jackson, super athletic, 552 receiving yards as a rookie. I think he can take a huge leap. Who are some late round tight ends that you think can get into that top 10 if people are going to wait like me? Uh, Well, Andrews is a start because I think, you know, for all the reasons you mentioned, he was the one guy that that showed considerable chemistry with Lamar Jackson, made a couple of a few big plays, which was uh, very promising to see, especially because on many of those plays, Jackson was actually um, dropping the ball in down the field, which is what we really need to see out of him for him to take the next step. But I got to tell you, Mike, I'm actually not a big um, weight on tight end guy this year. I think there is kind of a pretty big drop off um, when you get outside that, um, you know, that that top you know, 10, 11 guys, um, you know, Austin Hooper is kind of kind of signals the end of of that tier, because I, I think, you know, the reliability uh, and, and the ceiling floor combination uh, of guys at the back end of that tier, McDonald, Cook and Joku and, and then Hooper. And then you kind of, you know, you, you kind of that, that 12th guy, you're kind of grasping for straws. Like, is it Andrews? Is it? So you'll what you'll wait. You just won't wait that long. You're going to hit a floor and then you're going to go with someone. Yeah. And, and no, I, and I've actually, I've been loading up uh, on, on the top three as well. So uh, I mentioned, I, I really like the running back value in rounds three, four, and five. So a lot of times I'll start my draft with, with two or three stud pass catchers. And inevitably, um, if, if I'm picking in the right spot, usually, uh, you know, around that 24, 25, a turn or whatever, I'm, I'm usually getting a stud tight end, uh, either a Kittle or an Ertz. So, um, and, and I have taken a, my fair share of Travis Kelsey um, early second. Now he's kind of creeping into the late first. I prefer to not to take him as a first rounder, but in some of the smaller best ball leagues, I, I have been in three mans. I think you take him with the number one. Um, in in in, in uh, there's a great case to be made for doing that. Uh, P- Peter Jennings, CSU Ram, has really kind of banged the drum on taking Kelsey number one in, in three man best ball. But um, yeah, I, I think that there's considerable upside with OJ Howard, especially with Deshaun Jackson and Adam Humphreys gone. I think you're in a situation where we saw a lot of consistency out of Howard last year, and now this is a guy I think that could catch four plus balls every week. Uh, Evan Ingram, now that every Giants wide receiver seems to be dropping like flies. Um, Ingram has struggled throughout his career with some injury concerns of his own, but um, also a guy, one of the rare tight ends that can kind of put up wide receiver numbers, give you that 20% target share on a consistent basis. Um, and, and so I like him as well. I think the upside is there for him. And uh, Hunter Henry, I think, is a rock solid guy around that TE6. And then, you know, Ebron, McDonald, Cook, Najok. I mean, Najok is another one. You can't really cover him, uh, especially in the red zone, because you still got to worry about all these other guys. So, uh, a lot of upside, but, and then and then Hooper, I think, will get the volume, uh, not not as flashy, but after that, uh, it, it kind of drops, in my opinion. So I'm I'm trying not to have to choose between Delaney Walker, Mark Andrews, like a Herndon, a Jordan Reed, you know, a Burton who um, might have went unnoticed, but his usage, his targets went down once Adam Shaheen, the 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 big tight end, I think he's about six seven, was activated around week twelve. 
Burton was more more around uh, you know three three catches per game more more so than you know into those mid threes or, or low fours average that that he was previously. So uh, I'm not quite as bullish on him, even though I'm bullish on the Bears' offense as a whole. I just think there's a, the, the ball is going to be spread around, and I'm not sure Burton is necessarily a priority. So just kind of tough to pick between all those guys. I think all of them have. Upside and downside, Kyle Rudolph, Eifert. I mean, if he ever stays healthy, big opportunity with Green out. Doyle, Jimmy Graham might catch more than two touchdowns this year. I mean, the yardage ain't coming back, but just so many guys who I you could go either way with that. If I can get two in that top 11, uh, ending with Hooper, uh, I'm a lot more satisfied um, th- than trying to dig deep um, outside outside of, of that tier. Got it. Got it. Got that security. I, I can respect that. There are some RBs that are in camp that are in crowded house backfield. So help us sort out some of these RB backfields and give us who you think will be the fantasy back to own once the 2019 fantasy season is all said and done. So I'm just going to go through some teams here. Tell me which player you like better this year in fantasy. Start in Seattle, of course. Chris Carson or Rashad Penny? Chris Carson by far. 20.5 touches per game over the last 13 regular season and playoff games. Pete Carroll loves him. Rashad Penny, one target uh, on third and fourth down a season ago. Philadelphia, Jordan Howard or a guy who's getting a lot of press right now, Miles Sanders? Jordan Howard, uh, you know, throughout his tenure in Philadelphia, Doug Peterson has shown, uh, you know, the willingness to ride uh, kind of these two down backs in the, in the Howard mold. There was Ryan Matthews. There was LeGarrette Blunt, There was Jay Ajayi. Uh, you know, a lot of guys who kind of fit that mold. And I think the Sproul signing takes some of the floor and ceiling um, out of out of the Sanders balloon. In Washington, you got a, a crowded house there with three people, Adrian Peterson, Darius Geis, Chris Thompson. What do you make of this? Well, in, in PPR, I mean, Thompson's still essentially free in a lot of leagues. So I like Thompson. This is a guy who finishes as, as a PPR running back 11 in points per game in 2017. I don't think you, you want to judge the, the Alex Smith year too much, but but as a free pick almost, um, I'm fine with taking Thompson. Might give you some value before he inevitably gets lost for the season. But in terms of Peterson versus Geis, I mean, Geis is a guy that I'm just avoiding completely. I think his RB29 ADP is way too high. I have him outside the top 40 backs. I you know Washington has come out and said, hey, you know we, we envision a, a committee backfield with Adrian Peterson and, and Geis. Peterson, by the way, motivated because I don't know if if you got a chance to see the news, but going through some financial issues. Yes, yep, absolutely. Probably motivated to to earn himself more money, kicking some incentives in that contract and and keep his career going um, and hold off this rookie who, you know, has never played a regular season snap, who uh, is coming off a torn ACL and struggling with uh, soft tissue injuries, um, you know, already this year. So I don't know how it ends up really anything more than 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 a at best a fifty fifty split for for guys because it just so much has to go right for him to to really take a stranglehold of that backfield where where it's a three way committee where he's probably in third. And we talked about Jimmy G in San Francisco. So is this a New England Patriots situation where you just take the cheapest guy, Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida, or Jarek McKinnon? Absolutely, because I think Breida is the one that's uh, misvalued. I think that he would likely get the nod over McKinnon if they had to deactivate one on game days just because 
uh, of what he showed last year. Also gutted through some tough injuries, which I think earns you a lot of points um, with the coaching staff, earns you a lot of points in the locker room. McKinnon, meanwhile, coming off the ACL, um, unfortunate situation, but I just think he has to earn his way back um, into that top two because they went out and signed Tevin Coleman, which tells me that he's going to be a part of that top two rotation, probably the lead back getting around 10 carries per game and a catch or two. So, you know, a former Shanahan guy in Atlanta. So uh, I think it's between Breida and McKinnon. I think ideally they would they would kind of throw more to McKinnon and, and hand off more to Breida. But if we're talking one of them has to be deactivated, at least to start the season, my money's on, on McKinnon being deactivated and, and Breida getting the nod. You're a huge sports fan. I want to know what's the best sporting event you ever attended live? Ooh, that's a good question. I would have to say... I would have to probably say uh, a Knicks playoff game because Ugh. they're so rare these days. Um, was uh, the year we were the, the year the Knicks were pretty good. Uh, I think they, I'm not sure if they got to the second round or not, but they. I remember they were playing Miami. LeBron was it was LeBron and D Wade on Miami, and it was just a uh, you know being in the Garden for for a Knicks playoff game when when there actually was some sort of optimism. Far, far too far, too far and too few between these days. So um, you know I, I'm a Knicks fan, and that uh, that really stood out. I was at the LJ four-point play game, and we piled on top of each other in the upper deck. So that's a great call. That was when the garden is rocking. There's no place like it. Yeah, oh, and that's a great one to be. I mean, that that four-point play is legendary. I still remember, you know, very vividly being at home watching that on like one of those old school TVs and just being like, oh my goodness. It was so quiet when that ball was in the air. It was totally silent. And then when it went in, the place totally erupted. I got a question here from a Bengals fan. And, of course, this is topical with everything going on. He started to feel confident about his team, thought they could be an offensive sleeper. I know a lot of us were high on them as well. But then A.J. Green goes down again. He's out. He's going to miss some games. They had surgery. They think it's going to be a little bit longer now than they originally thought. So the question is, how do you handicap the fantasy values for the Bengals? Tyler Boyd, John Ross, he went off with an injury. Is Tyler Eifert going to come back and give him anything? or is it pretty much just Joe Mixon? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting situation because a lot of people I've seen kind of say, hey, Tyra Boyd did worse with A.J. Green uh, out than with him in last season. And yeah, that was true in the raw numbers, but a lot of that was due to, to the volume. So, um, you know, Jeff Driscoll started a lot of yes, the games that A.J. Green also yep. missed because uh, yep. Dalton was out at quarterback. And it turns out that if you just look at the target share, um, Boyd's targets as a percentage of, of the team's attempts, it's about 22 in that 22, 23 range, both with green in or out. So, you know, Boyd is a guy who I think green maybe raises the floor more than he raises the median for Boyd, if that makes sense. Um, because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there is going to be more. Uh, defensive attention paid to Boyd, and it does offset um, what may be some uh, additional targets. And they also may just decide to now throw the ball a little bit less with with the injury starting to pile up at the pass catcher positions. And when that happens, generally, what you usually see when you have guys that are prominent options in the uh, intermediate to deep area of the field, usually wide receivers, sometimes tight ends, usually see those targets get dive redirected to running back. So I, I do think that this is beneficial to Mixon in that sense. Um, Gio Bernard as as well. Um, but but Mixon, if you look at the, the splits with Green in or out, Mixon's the guy that actually sees a sees an uptick in pass catching usage. Bernard does not. 
And I think that is partly because uh, on those early downs, you know, guys aren't getting open as much. You're more likely to then dump it down to Mixon, whereas on third down, um, nothing's really changing. You're going to throw the ball regardless. And, some, you know, running back passes on third down usually leads to punt. So um, uh, I think Mixon is, is a winner here at the same time. You know, you can't really raise his projection up too much because you're still looking at what's quickly devolving into um, look, looking like one of the, the the worst offenses in the league. May, may struggle to move the football, may struggle to get um, those all important red zone looks. I'm going to stay with wide receivers. There's three guys who are all being drafted around the same ADP who had strong 2018 campaigns, and people think they can take that next step this year and become a wide receiver one even. So I want to know who's your flavor. Chris Godwin, who right now is going around pick 62 at the FFPC, Calvin Ridley, who's around 66, or Tyler Lockett at 68? So I have Ridley ranked the highest of those three. Uh, When you look at... Uh, the biggest jumps for, for wide receivers nowadays, you used to hear about the year three breakout. Uh, now it generally happens in year two. And I just think that's because guys are getting more reps, um, you know, in the season with, with the passing, the way the passing uh, volume has just increased league wide. Teams are passing more um, than they used to. So 30 percent increase generally is what you can expect uh, year over year in, in receptions per game going from year one to year two for a wide receiver. So uh, I think, yes, Godwin, uh, you know, th- these guys are all right there. I have Ridley uh, 19, Godwin uh, 21. Um, and, uh, you, you know, I think all these guys are kind of, you know, DJ Moore, another one. But I, I, I just think uh, Ridley is a guy in that offense. The volume is there. He has a guy in Julio Jones to take some of the attention away. But he al- there's also a lot of targets still to go around. Uh, just kind of a, a win-win situation. We've seen him with some, flash some tremendous upside. So I'm expecting the biggest jump from Ridley. But, but I mean, Godwin is right there for me. I also have Will Fuller kind of in that range, Allen Robinson. Uh, so, so a bunch of guys who, who I think you could take in that range. Uh, but, but yeah, I'm highest on Ridley. When you watch these training camp videos and people are putting them out there and you see Emmanuel Sanders doing his drills or one that I love, Cam Newton, with a bomb to Curtis Samuel, who's a guy I'm real high on, how does that factor into your rankings? Do you pretty much go by your gut? Do you ignore it all? How do videos and what you see there play into your thoughts and your projections? Yeah, so I mean, most of the offseason, I'm kind of tweaking and testing models themselves and testing, you know, back testing and, and looking for accuracy in terms of you know how, how to calculate some some kind of baseline number efficiency metrics and whatnot but um there are certain situations where you know you can't really build a model for and in those situations are where you do have to look at um the tape and, and pay attention to the news a bit more and the, the cam newton situation we really had no idea how his shoulder was progressing and, and so it was a bit reassuring to see him able to uh, number one, just be out there and be practicing uh, because I think that is big, especially when you're talking about chemistry with young receivers like Samuel, who I'm also high on. And uh, of course, second year man, DJ Moore. So uh, that was reassuring. I did. uh, I was uh, conservative with my games played projection for Newton, uh, but I've since kind of bumped them up back into that, uh, into that top 10 range uh, because, you know, when this guy's healthy, he's putting up, top 10 fantasy seasons, maybe even top five year in and year out. I've asked everybody this question so far this this year on the mailbag. What's the best Christmas or birthday gift you received as a kid? Mm, I would have to say, I would have to say probably 
a Megazord in yes. the height of the Mighty Morphin yes. Power Rangers. That's very like, good. Um, you know, that was, you know, you would see it uh, on the show every day and it would kind of, you know, it kind of, it's kind of like a Transformer. It's just kind of, they have five separate Zords or, or six if you're talking the Green Ranger and then they kind of, or the White and it kind of comes together into the Megazord and that was like one of those in-demand toys of the day that not everyone had. Um, I think it was one of those toys that was going for like a hundred bucks or something like that back when a hundred bucks was meant a lot more. Um, so yeah, definitely a Megazord. All right, let's transfer here to Halloween. Fantasy football trick-or-treat. Are these players tricking fantasy owners at their current ADP, or do you think they are a treat? Let's assume half-point PPR for everything here. Start with the Patriots running back James White as RB27. That is a, that's a treat. Uh, you know, White with Rob Gronkowski out. Catches about five balls per game. And I mean, I see a lot of targets up for grabs in New England because you have Julian Edelman and then you don't really have many guys or anyone that Tom Brady trusts. I mean, Sony Michelle doesn't catch passes. You know, maybe we see Damian Harris get more involved in that aspect uh, if Michelle misses time or maybe even if, he, even if he doesn't. But I think White is going to be that clear second target. We've heard of, you know, rookie wide receiver Nikhil Harry struggling a bit with, with separation. Uh, looks like he's playing behind Maurice Harris, uh, who was acquired from the Redskins, um, you know, in, in a lot of the the, 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 the the three wide sets. So we'll see. Um, but but I think White is is a value in half point or full point PPR and standard. It gets dicey because I I think with Harris now being drafted in the third round, you might see White return more to like that two to three carry range rather than last year when he was you know sometimes getting seven, eight, nine, ten carries a game depending on the injury situation. James White last year, second among running backs and targets, 123, third in receptions, 87. What do we do in this format with Nick Chubb? Monster on the ground, but very limited in the passing game. Duke Johnson is there. Kareem Hunt's coming back. Hunt, uh, Chubb is currently going RB10. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair uh, because, yeah, Chubb, I mean, he didn't catch many passes last season, but at the same time, he had games where he would catch, you know, two, three balls and, and look good doing it. Uh, and again, I've talked about earlier in the show how bullish I am on this Browns offense. Baker Mayfield was that good um, down the stretch last season. Uh, highly efficient to guys buried on the depth chart. Uh, stopped taking sacks late in the year. Just, just a really impressive performance. And now, you know, a full offseason, Odell Beckham, Landry, Najoku as his top targets. You know, high upside guy like Callaway there. You know, you mentioned, you know, you still got other guys uh, you know, Duke Johnson, they'll move the ball. And so Hunt, I mean, he could end up leading the league in, in touchdowns. So, uh, excuse me, uh, Chubb could end up leading the league in touchdowns. I don't think Hunt is a threat to his workload. Uh, I think if anything, Hunt takes the 5.5 touches or somewhere in that neighborhood that Duke Johnson got last year uh, because Hunt comes back right around that trade deadline. Uh, and, and we are hearing a lot of rumors about Duke Johnson potentially being moved and, and he wants a trade. So um, I think that will probably end up happening and Hunt just slots into that role, maybe an extra carry or, or touch here or there. Oh, Duke Johnson at Tampa Bay. I'm fully on that train. Carson Wentz is back healthy. What are your thoughts? Trick or treat. Alshon Jeffrey right now, wide receiver 29. You know, that uh, I'll go treat just because I think Jeffrey tends to fall in terms of the overall. So um, in some some leagues, I'll see, you know, there's like a running back run or people start taking tight ends or quarterbacks in those that those middle sixth, seventh rounds and Jeffrey will fall. Uh, I think he's a value there. I think He's at a point in his career probably transitioning to a bit of a more of a possession role than the kind of explosive 
guy that he was earlier in his career, but this is a guy that's you know averaging about a, a half a touchdown per game over the you know in his career in Philadelphia. Not many receivers can say that, so uh, still think he's a big threat in, in the touchdown department. Still think he'll he'll see uh, enough volume to catch you know four four or so passes a, a game. And uh, his quarterback's still really good. And, and Deshaun Jackson taking the top off, going to create opportunities for Jeffrey in single coverage uh, in the intermediate area of the field. It's really tough to handicap the Titans offense. Derrick Henry now has a bit of an ankle sprain. They're holding him out as, as, a, cautionary, as a cautionary thing. My question is, Titans wide receiver Corey Davis at wide receiver 34. Does the A.J. Brown by picking AJ Brown, are they saying they don't believe in Corey Davis, or do you think he can exceed that ADP right now? You know, Davis is tough because he kind of looks tempting when you see him falling outside those top ninety picks or outside those top thirty six wide receivers. But then you got to remember, you know, when essentially no one was, no one else was there last year in Tennessee. You know, Delaney Walker went down in week one. Uh, Davis still was the the wide receiver forty one, you know, and the you know he he didn't he wasn't really able to even crack that top thirty six, and uh, if he couldn't do it last year, getting about you know a quarter of the targets and, and the air yards, I, I just don't know that he does it this year with even more competition. I mean, maybe he's one of those guys that 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 really takes a bigger leap uh, in year two to year three, but I mean, last year might have just been the leap because we all remember how how much he struggled in year one, didn't even score t- uh, his first touchdowns till the postseason against New England. Um, so, you know, I- I'm not really too high on Davis. I think he's probably in that, you know, outside that top 36 uh, wide receivers. You- you're much rather him uh, as kind of a, a your first bench option, your wide receiver four, a bi-week fill-in type, than you are relying on him every week as your wide receiver three. Yeah, I'm not targeting him anywhere. I just I, I agree with everything you said about Davis. And I can't let you go out of this segment, of course. I've asked everybody this. Rams, Todd Gurley right now, RB10. Is that a treat or a trick? That's another one. I think it's pretty on point. You know, I, I have projected, um, uh, you know, Gurley, you know, to, to lose a bunch of, of his workload. And he's still my standard RB10, my half PPR and full PPR RB9. I have him for 196 carries. Uh, and I have him for 42 catches and uh the thing that really pumps him up i think is that touchdown upside in that offense i think if, if they're going to be smart and have a plan with his workload it, he's they're going to use him in high leverage situations so i think he'll still see enough receiving volume even with the rookie daryl henderson there and i think he'll still see uh as much of the red zone work as he can handle and uh what i would suggest though is if you're drafting Gurley at cost i wouldn't reach on him but if you're drafting him at cost around that 10th running back uh, i i would suggest putting out a lot of feelers early in the season for potential trade opportunities because if Gurley gets off to a hot start and pretty much if you're on the field as a running back in the Rams offense I mean CJ Anderson came off the couch from eating Cheetos and, and, oh, and he looked big Chris numbers. did he look oh, big oh yeah. my goodness he was a boat but a but a but a very effective boat and so uh you know Gurley in this offense I think he gets off to a, a good start and I think the concern for fantasy owners is is he going to be around when I need him in the fantasy playoffs? Are, are the Rams going to be taking easy on him in the in the fantasy playoffs? You know, maybe the Rams have things locked up by week 16 and, and Gurley's sitting out, you know, not, on, not only a week 17 game like we've seen in the past, but 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 even his workload gets cut in week 16, which is a crucial time, of course, fantasy championship. So I, I like the idea if you're drafting Gurley, make sure you're aware of 
everyone's uh, what, what everyone else in your league would give up for him. That doesn't mean you pull the trigger, but I would definitely float a lot of trade offers, probably more so than almost any other player uh, in fantasy. Next question I got is from a depressed Giants fan. He says we're getting yeah, killed. <laughs> we're getting killed with injuries and suspensions. Eli Manning's holding the chair. Daniel Jones is going to take over at some point. When do you think it happens during the season? What's the games there? And is there any fantasy value when that change happens? Be- besides, of course, Saquon. Yeah, you know, when you look at a quarterback that's drafted where Jones is in the first round, but not in the top, you know, f- uh, three picks. Usually, they're starting somewhere between seven and nine games in year one. But then, you know, I wrote an article on actionnetwork.com really detailing or, or better word might be ripping, um, you know, into into not just Dave Gettleman, because I think he almost became a scapegoat, uh, but, but John Mara and the ownership, because really it was Mara responsible for for the just a strange about face where they they wanted they they benched Eli and they wanted to look at young guys, but they said they benched him for Geno Smith and then Eli makes every start since and you know everyone else gets fired and it's kind of it, it kind of makes it look like it's their fault when in reality it's really just Mara and I think he just signed a puppet uh, in Gettleman and I, I think he's uh, petrified of benching Eli Manning until he's he it's kind of like that that perfectionist that like. You know, instead, you know, they're, they're, they're working on a painting and instead of just getting it out there, they're just working on it forever and ever. And eventually no one wants it anymore. It's like you got to get you got to just move on from UI. And, and I don't know if Mara um, is going is going to do that. And it seems like he's calling the shots because it's, he was the one who decided that he should be benched the first time. So uh, I, I have him projected uh, my over under for Daniel Jones games is three and a half. Uh, right now, I, I had initially had it a little higher, close to that, you know, seven uh, range. But, uh, you know, the more I look at it and the more news we get that, hey, there's not really a competition, the more I'm being conservative with that projection for Jones. And, and I think Manning will probably be there uh, for, for most of this year. And then you really have to think about just moving on from him um, after the season. But I'm not sure it happens this year just because of Mara. You're great also with Daily Fantasy, and it seems like every week when I'm looking at that Millie Maker team, you're you're just in a race to find the stack. Can you find the right quarterback wide receiver stack? With the three wide receiver sets becoming more prevalent now, and people realizing pass over run is, is a more expected value, better expected value play, how does that factor into your DFS lineups? Are you more or less likely to find that stack? Is that still a foundational piece, or are you modifying it now because those wide receiver one numbers are coming down a bit because more options are there in the passing game yeah that's a great point i think stacking is still vital uh to to win tournaments because you can only make so many combinations of lineups even in the multi-entries um you're capped at 150 entries and, and most people um aren't necessarily willing to to, to use enough bankroll to even max them out so uh, I think stacking is the number one way to get around that. It's it's you almost always see a quarterback pass catcher stack um, in the winning lineup every week in, in in all tournaments. And the one thing I'll say is that I don't necessarily think you need to stack the wide receiver one. I, I think you're getting a, a lot of value. Great point. You're, Great point. You're you're getting the correlation. That's what's kind of. That means you don't need to take the wide receiver one because the wire, the advantage of the wide receiver one and the advantage of paying for a wide receiver one 
in many cases is that predictability. But the correlation then you're saying, hey, well, I'm getting a guy that's a lot cheaper um, and he's going to be correlated to my quarterback. So if my quarterback goes off, chances are this guy is going to go off regardless. I mean, how many times did Mohamed Sanu put up big games along with, you know, Julio Jones or, or Calvin Ridley or somebody like that? So you don't need the, pa- the, the number one. I love stacking the cheaper guys, the guys below that kind of median salary range. Now, sometimes a wide receiver one will fall into that, that, that price range. But generally, I'm looking at stacking as a way to not only increase upside with the correlation, but also to save salary so I can have, you know, uh, a stack that goes off and also still be able to fit in two stud running backs because sometimes you can't replicate the production of a guy like Zeke or, or, or Barkley in a given week if they touch the ball 25, 30 times uh, and score multiple touchdowns. That's a fantastic point. Find the stack, but it doesn't have to be the wide receiver one. Let's get to the redraft lightning round. Two players, you make a pick. Christian Kirk, Allen Robinson. Ooh, I, I love both of those guys this year, but going Robinson, uh, entering his age 26 season, that's generally when wide receivers peak and another year removed uh, from that ACL injury. Yeah, Mike Taglier put out a, a tweet the other day, said that if you can project a player to receive 125 targets or more, there's an 80% chance they were wide receiver one. And certainly with Robinson, that is a clear, clear case. Yeah, Eric- I, want, I just want to, um, I actually saw that tweet. I just wanted to clarify that. And um, uh, Scott Barrett uh, also pointed this out, but um, th- that was a little bit misleading only because um, he, he set a floor of 120 targets, but if you're looking, if you're projecting a guy for 120 targets, you're actually more so looking at that as the median. The so, median, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. I think Scott uh, responded with something I thought was pretty sharp, where he said, "Hey, you know, if you look at guys, you know, with, between 110 and 130, you know, that that figure drops to 41.8 percent, I think it was, yeah. which, which is still decent. You know, if you're if you can kind of find guys and you're hitting, you know, 40, 50 percent, I mean, uh, I think you'll take that, especially in the middle uh, rounds and later." But um, yeah, I just wanted to clarify that, you know, it, it gets uh, it can get misleading when you're looking at baselines versus medians. Right. You got to hit the 125. If it's 125 is the middle of your projection. That person may not hit 125. So you got to exactly. make sure you get that. Exactly. exactly you know, right. You missed games. You could just be a little, you know, volatility, whatever not. Um, so, yeah, that the, the, the percentage goes down a little. But, yeah, the, the point remains the same. I mean, if you can get a guy who you can project for, um, you know, seven, seven and a half targets. And really, it's it's not even about the targets once because, um, you know, you know, if you look at it from kind of I, I use routes, run data, air yards and, and a lot of other, you know, wide receiver metrics that are not just, you know, yards per target or, or whatever. But if you look at kind of, you know, the routes, run data and whatnot, you know, just getting to, to four catches, whether you're taking six targets or seven or eight you know, guys that can catch four balls a week. I, I think one a quarter. Th- those are generally the guys that are going to separate themselves and, and give you that that upside to kind of jump into the top 20 and beyond, whereas guys that are you know, catching West, they're kind of relying more uh, on their efficiency. And that's a, a lot harder to predict. It, it can be useful in DFS um, to get some some cheap guys in there. Um, you know, your Robert Fosters and whatnot. But um, the guys that are, you can generally rely on to be consistent and really have that that true, you know, maybe, you know, wide receiver one upside uh, or wide receiver two upside or, or guys that are going to catch uh, four balls a game or more. Tight end, Eric Ebron or Vance McDonald? You know, that's I have them pretty equal in my rankings. Uh, I'm going to go McDonald just because I think there's the potential for for kind of this outlier upside um, if the Steelers remain as pass heavy as they were with Antonio Brown and, and, and he just becomes a focal point. I mean, we've seen just some monster games out of him, even dating back a couple of years. Um, I remember, I think it was one playoff game against the Jaguars. I, he, I think he had double digit catches or something like that. Um, and he's had, you know, show, showcased 
considerable upside, whereas I think Ebron, uh, it's hard to, to think that he hasn't peaked last year in, in, in pretty much every category. I mean, the, the volume, um, now you got Doyle coming back. You, you do have some additions that, even though maybe Luck a little bit overvalued based on a supporting cast, uh, still still should, you know, in theory, be an upgrade and, and, and kind of take a few targets away from him. And it's just hard to repeat double-digit touchdowns, um, whereas McDonald's, might be a little more just scratching the surface still in terms of the volume and he might end up being that kind of outlier that that ebron was last year so i'm gonna go mcdonald's but i mean they're they're pretty equal in in my rankings i'm not i'm not upset to to have either one of them because we know how much luck uh favors the tight end when when he throws the football i think this one's rhetorical after what we said before kirk cousins or jimmy g uh jimmy g i mean (laughs) the vikings fired their offensive coordinator, John DeFilippo, uh, toward the end of last season, uh, essentially for running too much for head coach Mike Zimmer's liking. Uh, you know, Jaguar, uh, excuse me, the Vikings under Zimmer historically have been more of a run-heavy team, play good defense. DeFilippo goes to Jacksonville. I mean, if anything, I think, you know, bottom of the barrel, 2QB, super flex. Nick Foles is interesting because I think one of the, we think of the Jaguars as this team that's hiding their quarterback, but really they were hiding Bortles, you know, and then they had Cody Kessler who was essentially hapless. Uh, So, you know, now they got a guy in Foles who tends to surprise at almost every stop he makes, um, you know, with a guy in DeFilippo. Who, who, who got fired from a defensive team for passing too much, you know, you just kind of put two and two together and they have all these kind of young wide receivers. No one really jumps out at you. You know, I'm a big D.D. Westbrook fan in general. Um, but, um, you know, of course, Marquis Lee coming up the injury. I, I think Foles might might return some sneaky value. And he's a guy I'm, I'm definitely watching for uh, in, in DFS because I think like a Foles to Westbrook stack um, could potentially be very profitable uh, at some point, especially early in the year. This next one is timely. Aaron Jones missed practice today with hamstring soreness, which he had last uh, camp as well last year. Aaron Jones or Marlon Mack? Marlon Mack. And to be clear, this is another one of those situations where I I think maybe a casual fantasy player may obsess over this more than an advanced one. But that tier of running back twos, once you get kind of, you know, on that, RB1-2 borderline, you, you get to Dalvin Cook, Damian Williams, and then it's, you know, Mack and Freeman and Josh Jacobs and on Johnson, uh, all of those guys, uh, all in one tier for me, and I'm happy to get any of them. I'm happy to get uh, two of them as my top two running backs if I can get two stud pass catchers early on um, in, in the first two rounds or, or maybe the first three, uh, but but Jones, I have Jones at the back end of that tier, and, and part, part of the reason is just a new coaching staff. It almost feels like you're starting from square one again after he finally seemed to win over Mike McCarthy. It only took forever uh, and, and get feature back usage. They traded Ty Montgomery. Now you're hearing about Jamal Williams still involved, the rookie Dexter Williams involved. I mean, Jones going to be efficient, uh, it, but as the carries increase, probably a guy whose efficiency will come back down to earth. So I don't think necessarily they might give him the chance for those carries to increase to the level of a guy like Mack, who even though Naeem Hines still probably plays a lot of the, the, the passing downs or at least the third downs, uh, Mack, we still saw a lot of you know 20 carry games from him in, in, into the playoffs, which gives me more confidence um, in, in Mack than a guy like Jones. And last one, Pat Fitzmaurice called Lamar Miller a ham sandwich. I call him vegetable lasagna. He's the boring lead guy in Houston. Do you go with Lamar Miller or Latavius Murray as the second running back to Kamara? You know, I, I think it depends what kind of what kind of uh, player you're looking for. Because I think Miller probably 
gives you a little bit more consistent week to week floor, whereas Murray's giving you a higher ceiling. I tend to go towards ceiling, um, but 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 that consistency is valuable still when, when you're talking about um, where where both of those guys are being drafted. So I think you know Murray is a guy. If you can afford not to to have to start him every week, because I think he's going to be a little tougher to predict. Whereas Miller, you could kind of plug him in, and, and the floor I think is a little bit higher. Whereas if Murray doesn't score touchdowns in a given week, he could end up with you know five six carries for. 20, 30 yards, and he's not as good of a pass catcher as Mark Ingram was. So, uh, you know, that's the only concern with Murray. But at, at the same time, I think he'll have uh, some, you know, multi-touchdown games that uh, probably a guy like Miller does not give you. Last question, Chris. You've been amazing. I mean, the content you gave us here was incredibly good. Can't thank you enough. You can't win your fantasy league in those first few rounds, but you sure as heck can lose it. Give me that early round, first or second round player that you are generally avoiding because you're worried that their floor is just simply too low for your liking. Well, I mean, first of all, just drafting a quarterback, period. Um, and, and I mean, Mahomes, it's tough to say the floor, but it's just kind of the risk of taking any quarterback um, that high. Uh, I, you know, I think last year was the year to, to get Mahomes. Now, if he drops a little, fine, go ahead. But but I think any quarterback, uh, you know, and then the, some other guys, uh, I think David Montgomery going as the RB22, going within the top 50. Listen, uh, like Montgomery is a player. You know, as you tend to like most running backs being drafted, you know, on day two, they tend to be talented guys. But, uh, you know, he hasn't earned anything. He hasn't earned his way into that tier yet to be drafted like that. And, and yet, you know, and let's remember, you know, yeah, they got rid of Jordan Howard, but they go out and, and, and get Mike Davis and essentially pay him. You know, it all works out to where they're essentially paying Davis uh, more than they would have paid Howard. So. Uh, I, I think that this there will be three backs involved. Of course, Tariq Cohen's still there. And, and I just don't know that Montgomery's worthy of that RB22 ADP for the entire year. Maybe he ends the year like that. But at, at RB22, you're not leaving yourself a, a lot of wiggle room uh, for him to outproduce it realistically, uh, barring injury. And, and yeah, running backs miss more games in other positions. But generally, the the, the 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 expectation is that a running back going to miss about two to three games, um, you know, or one to three games, I should say. So not not necessarily the greatest odds of an injury allowing you to strike it rich. I think you're, you're kind of betting on injury a little later when guys are essentially free, like a Chase Edmonds or, or a Justin Jackson or even Alfred Morris, if, if Zeke continues to hold out. You know, those guys are almost free in drafts and, and you're not really wasting precious draft capital that you could be using on uh, solidifying your wide receiver corps or just taking another running back um, or, or, or a tight end like O.J. Howard, Evan Ingram. Um, so, so Montgomery's a guy uh, I'm staying away from a little too rich for my blood um, going inside the top 50 at RB22. Folks, what else do you want? Chris Raybon, senior editor and analyst at the Action Network, co-host of the Action Network show on Sirius XM Fantasy Radio at 9 a.m. Eastern. He's been amazing. Chris, can't thank you enough. If you're not following him on Twitter at Chris Raybon, you are doing it wrong. Chris, thanks so much, man. We appreciate it, and we'll follow you during the season. Of course, it's going to be a fun August. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you having me on, and uh, good luck this season. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and at Randall Rant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in.
Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory factory sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history relive their decade of dominance in the new showtime sports documentary the kings a four-part series premiering sunday june 6th only on showtime